what we've been talking about, being filled with the Holy Spirit. I think it's been going along pretty well, don't you? Guys have been digging deeper wells in us, filled, filled, filled with the Holy Spirit. Why should we be filled with the Holy Spirit? Because it's God's intention for the church to be a spirit-filled reality. It's God's intention for us as individuals to be filled with His Spirit, indwelt by His person. That's what that means, filled with the Spirit, indwelt by the third person of the Trinity, indwelt by the person of God Himself. Who should be filled with the Holy Spirit? Hold up your hand like this with a mirror, and that's, that's you right there. Every... Every believer, every authentic follower of Jesus Christ needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's really not an option for anything else. And uh, most recently we've been saying, well, how can I know if I've been filled with the Holy Spirit? And we've given you some answers so far, and one of them is, uh, you know, you should be seeing the fruit of the Spirit coming in increasing measure. Next slide, please. Uh, In increasing measure. You should see the fruit of the Spirit coming the love and joy and the peace and these kind of realities just coming in your life. You should be seeing the gifts of the Spirit flowing through you so that you're beginning to see God work through you. You're beginning to see God get hold of you in a way that you're, you set your heart to doing something, and man, that was God who just did that in the gifts of the Spirit. Last week we talked about, you know, our, our view of others should be substantially changing. The Holy Spirit gets inside of us. We fall in love with each other as believers in spite of all of our flaws. We fall in love with each other, accept each other, receive each other. We become very tolerant of one another, loving toward one another, esteeming toward one another. And this is the reality of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We look around the world, we see other people in all kinds of need, and our heart goes out to them immediately, right? Because that's the Holy Spirit living inside of us. So if that's happening to you, if you're just kind of falling in love with the church and with the people of the world, no matter what condition they're in, that's evidence that the Holy Spirit is living inside of you. Well, today I want to talk about uh, the last answer to the question. There are probably, I'm sure there are many, many more, but one that I really want you to get hold of is, how can I know if I've been filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, your sense of the Father's unlimited, unconditional love for you will dramatically increase. Did you know that he loves you? How do you know? I'm not satisfied with that answer. I love the answer. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Is that the end of it? I got to go on that. I have to. That's what I have to. That's what I have to do. I just have to keep telling myself He loves me because the Bible says so. You sound like Israelites right now to me. I don't know what you're talking about. You're right. Whatever you said is right. Tell me. paid a radically high price. And the reality of this is this is meant to connect us to God, not just in our minds, but experientially. Not just to worship Him from afar, but to experience Him in the present. And part of what we should be experiencing as Spirit-filled believers is the love of God, the love that the Father has for us. I showed you last week, I want to show you again here in Romans 5, 5, because it relates to both of these messages. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Is uh, It says, and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. So as the Holy Spirit is poured out into our hearts, accompanying that is the love of the Father. And that's a very experiential thing. It's not just a conceptual thing, but it's something that we feel. And for lots of us, and probably most of us, there's lots of scar tissue that God has to get through before we're really going to enjoy that. It took me a long time 
to enjoy that. There was lots of scar tissue. I mean, this, think about the stuff that happens in our lives, the traumas, the disappointments, the kind of things that happen in our lives that create this crusty heart so that when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, it's a pretty stiff, st- stiff deal, right? But as we just continue in the Word of God and in the Holy Spirit, then God begins to soften our hearts. He softens our hearts, and then He begins to uh, become more of an experiential reality, something that we know that I don't just have to keep telling myself the Father loves me because the Bible says so, but because I know it as an experience, just like I know the love of Karen. I don't have to depend on letters that she's written to me from afar going, I love you, Tom, but she, I know it. She embraces me, and I know that embrace. And this is, what it's meant, this is what it's meant to be in our walk with God. Today I want you to focus also on 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Way toward the back of your Bibles, if you're newer to the Bible. If you are newer, I'm so glad you're here. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, I'm going to put up on the screen. And in the Bible that we normally use here, which is the New International Version, because it's a more readable modern translation, it says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. But I like the way the King James says it a little better. It says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. The reason I like this is because of the use of the word behold. The use of the word behold. Behold. This is a word, the Greek word is used 666 times in the New Testament. 666. Makes me a little nervous that it was used that many times. <laughs> but this, this Greek word is used over and over and over again. Behold! One of my favorites is when the angels come and say, Behold, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And in that sense, it's like, Hey, hey, look, pay attention, hey. But in this sense, it's used a little different. Behold, get hold of it. Get a hold of it. Embrace it. Behold it. Don't just look at it. Don't just think about it. But behold, get a hold of what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called the children of God, the sons and daughters of the living God. Behold that. Get that. It's used in a different sense here. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed. The New, the New International Version says lavished, which, which comes from another Greek word which means to proceed from oneself. It's something that only one person can give in this sense. It has to come from one place. I can't give you the Father's love. Only the Father can give you the Father's love. And it says, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. What, the church has bestowed upon us? No. The tall, bald guy has bestowed upon us? No. Some priest in priestly robes has bestowed upon us? No. But only the Father. This is is something that's meant For you, in the intimate experience of union with the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so He's saying, behold, you guys, get this. If you'll have it, He's saying, take a hit of this, is really what He's saying. Take a hit of this. Behold what manner of love the Father has given us, that we should be called the children of God. I mean, who among us feels like you have a right to be called the children of God because of your righteous behavior? Anybody? No, but he's saying, behold, man, let this overcome you like a wave. The love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the sons of God. 
So part of being filled with the Holy Spirit and knowing it is experiencing this rush of the Father's unconditional and unlimited love for you. And some of you are going like, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Some of you are going, I don't know what you're talking about, but I want to know what you're talking about, right? Well, good. Let's decide if you're a person who has yet, I'm going to give you a little quiz here, experienced the Father's love for you. First of all, when you think about the Bible, the Bible, when you think about the Bible, you primarily think of it as A, a religious document specifically designed for the Christian religion. You know, you've got all these religions out there, and this one has this, and this has Christian religion has a Bible. There you go. B, an ancient philosophy and worldview you are somehow trying to embrace. I mean, it's this old thing, but it, 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 it's like, no, this is what needs to happen. This is what I want to get my head around. This is how I want to live my life. C, an instruction manual for daily living, for daily Christian living. You know, you're a Christian and you need a manual. I've heard the Bible used as an acronym. Acronym, Maybe you have basic instructions before leaving earth. Did you get that? B-I-B-L-E, it's really not that great. Uh, Or a passionate love letter from your heavenly Father. And you need, only you can answer that question. I mean, you read this thing going, oh, he loves me. Whew. I am embraced by the love of God. This is, an, this is a pat. And no one can convince you this is a passionate love letter from God. You have to experience that. And I think in some degree, you need to work through this system And if you're a believer, you know, you say, I've asked Jesus Christ into my heart. I know I'm going to heaven after this. And now I'm studying these things so I can know how to be a good father. I know how to be a good husband. I know how to be a good person at work. I'm studying this as a manual. It's all right. It's all right. But you need to work through the place where you say, I want to find God in this. I want to experience God in this. I want this God-shaped void to be filled in me. So that this thing can make it switch over to this passionate love letter from God. Second question, when you think of God, you primarily envision him as A, a wispy, unfocused theological concept you are struggling to bring into view. It's like, hmm, come on, come on, there's got to be a God. This stuff doesn't make sense without there being a God. I can't really see anything, but I'm, I'm leaning into it. B, A disinterested being who may have created the universe but has long since lost interest in it. This is a common view. People say, yeah, there's a God. And, you know, he wound the thing up like a top. Zing! And set it in motion. And now he's off doing other things that you can't really encounter God. This was actually the theology of Thomas Jefferson. Sorry to burst your bubble. A difficult-to-please cosmic giant whose anger you need to figure out how to appease. You know, no, oh, he's here, and he's watching. He's watching, old Shevsky. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. He's watching. <laughs> you're squirming when I say that. How come you're squirming? <laughs> this is a concept of God. It's a difficult to please, and you've got to figure this out. Or would you say... He's a passionate father whose approval and embrace you freely enjoy. A passionate father 
perfect, passionate Father whose approval you enjoy. He approves of you. He knows your secrets. And he approves. His embrace, Michael. Father God embrace. That'll make men out of all of us. And I think you need to ask yourself these questions to know where you are. Because being filled with the Holy Spirit brings us into the embrace of God so that we experience His unconditional, unlimited love. How does being filled with the Holy Spirit produce this experience, you ask? Go ahead. That's good. You can't even get a birthday song together. I don't know how you're going to get that one together. I mean, how does this work? How does this work that the Holy Spirit comes in and by the action of the Holy Spirit, how does it work that we can then experience the love of God? I mean, why can't we experience it just by reading the Bible and having this cognitive relationship with the Bible as the American church so often teaches? Why is it that it requires the Holy Spirit to come in before we can really understand the love of God? I believe it's because that in the coming of the Holy Spirit into us, that the Holy Spirit reveals the true nature of God to us. That the Holy Spirit in us reveals the true nature of God. The Holy Spirit is God, right? Hello? So He can represent Himself to us. And he can dispel all of these other ideas that we have about God. You getting this? I mean, you can be told about somebody and have a kind of concept of them, but then when you meet them, a lot of those myths, those concepts are adjusted, if not dispelled altogether, yeah? Blaise Pascal in the 17th century... uh, he was a man, he was everything. He was a mathematician. He was a. I think he did some physics, didn't he? Pascal, 17th century. Rick? Yeah. Might ask the smartest man in the room. <laughs> Can't find him, so I thought I'd ask you. That's true, you kids, you know. Anyway, he was a, also a great theologian. And he once said this God made man in his own image, then man returned the compliment. God made man in his own image. Then man returned the compliment. And we spend our lives making God out in our image and wonder how come we can't get along with him. So the application of this is if we feel hateful toward ourselves, which many of us do, then we make God out in that image and we assume that he feels hateful toward us. If we feel disappointed in ourselves, which many of us just live in the shadow of profound disappointment, then we make God out in that image and we say, God is disappointed in me. By some miracle, we have found a way to love ourselves. That person says, well, God loves me. But any time that our concept of God is built on ourself, it's not going to be an accurate concept. And so when the Holy Spirit is invited to come and indwell us in the ways that we've been talking about in this series, then God can represent Himself to us. And in my disappointment in myself, I can hear the Father say, 
I'm not disappointed. I've heard him say, I knew you were going to do that. (laughs) In my sense of failure, in my sense of shame, in, in my sense of lack, I don't project that back on God and say, you owe it to yourself to hate me. Which is the human condition. And we project this stuff onto God that isn't a part of his gospel. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that all of this stuff that's wrapped up in our view of ourselves that we project back on God and try to make God in our, in our image is dispelled when the Holy Spirit is invited into our lives and said, well, I'm, let me tell you about myself. And myself is I love you. And you see that in the Bible. The Bible does tell us so. But it's hard to hold on to that, isn't it, when we keep making God out in our image? It's hard to hold on to that as a reality. But the Holy Spirit then comes, and he says, but I I, I love you. I I knew you were going to do that. And I love you. And I sent my son Jesus Christ to die for you, to cover that. Because the reality is that God is something, regardless of how we think. And we don't make him out to be something else by thinking something differently about him. He is something. And when we invite him to come and represent himself to us in the power of the Holy Spirit, then things change. In the process of this, the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit enables us to change from working, catch this, for God's approval to living from God's approval. You've got to get this, people. Do you want to experience the love of the Father, or are you just fooling with me? I mean, do you want relationship, or do you want religion? Talk to me, church. Do you want relationship with God, or is this religion doing? Because we've got a lot of religion here. You can make the mistake and miss the relationship. There's enough here that you could just settle for religion. You could come in and stomp your feet and clap your hands and go home and not encounter God. But if you want relationship with God, you have got to make the shift from working for God's approval to living from God's approval. This is what the gospel of Jesus is, is that he has provided a way that we can receive his full approval. I developed this scheme, some of you will remember it, a couple of years ago when I was in a series called Living from the Cross. It's actually just poured out on a whiteboard as I was at a pastor's meeting, and I was asked to speak at a pastor's meeting, and I was in this amazing place with Jesus that day, and I said, I didn't even know what I was going to talk about, and I just got up and started writing this stuff on this whiteboard. These guys are like, ah. I was like, ah, thanks, God. (laughs) I shared it with you a couple years ago, I think. But the difference between a performance-based gospel and an abiding-based gospel Performance, if you think about it, always starts with commitment. And the gospel comes to you this way. You need to commit your life to Jesus. You need to commit your life to God. You need to commit yourself to God. Yes? Have you heard that? I'm not saying that there's not commitment as part of the gospel. It's true. But it is not the, I'm saying, is it the basis of the gospel? Is commitment, is something that you already have to bring the basis of the gospel? Or do you need the gospel because you don't have anything really to bring to the party? So it starts with commitment. From commitment, we, we, 
we, we engage in performance, working harder, praying harder, staying up later, getting up earlier, all these things, because we are trying to put ourselves in a position where we gain God's approval. We commit ourselves, and man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to study. I look around, I see people carrying their band, they're memorized, man, they're going, they're going hard. And so I've got I've to keep that performance going so that God will approve of me. Now what this produces is a conditional love relationship with God. A conditional love Is there love there? There can be love there. You can experience some love there. But it's very conditional because here's how it happens. Tell me if I'm wrong. On the days that you feel like you're performing well, you go, well, God loves me, right? I'm just living in the love of God. I did all my stuff. How about the other days? How about the other days when you return to that habitual sin that you promised to God you would never revisit? How about those days? And your shame overcomes you in such a way, just like Adam and Eve, that you run and hide from God. That's a conditional love relationship, conditioned by your ability to perform. It's about how a lot of the American gospel works. Keeps people coming. Keeps people filling the seats. Keeps people putting stuff in the baskets. It's religion. Now what if the gospel wasn't based on performance, but the invitation is to abide in Jesus? Kind of like what he said. He said, if any man abides in me, he said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If any man abides in me, he'll bear much fruit. If apart from me, you can do nothing. And it's not based, doesn't begin on with commitment, but it begins with acceptance. And just an accepting of this gift that God has given us through his son, Jesus Christ. And just saying, I accept it. Much the way you should have given me a gift yesterday. <laughs> and I, had, I, would have a, I wouldn't take it today, by the way, because I'm mad. But in much, I would have a choice. You have this nicely wrapped gift and... I would have a choice. I could receive it or I could reject it, right? I don't have to work for it. I mean, if somebody brings you a gift and says, do a dance for me and I'll give you this gift, it's not a gift, right? Make a commitment for me and I'll give you this gift. That's not a gift. Exactly. A gift is here you go. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a free gift. So I accept it. I personally accept it. And I can reject it. Jesus says, whoever accepts the Son has eternal life and will not be condemned. But whoever rejects the Son is condemned already because he has not believed on the name of God's one only Son. So I can accept it. I accept It's overwhelming. Now, from that, I abide then. And in abiding, I find that I have God's approval. I'm not working for God's approval. I'm enjoying God's approval. Because it's not built on my performance. But it's built on the free gift of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so you live in that place. When you abide in Jesus, when you draw near to Him, when you realize it's not about how high you can jump, how fast you can run, how many Bible verses you have memorized or whatever, you realize it's about abiding in him. You'll be amazed at how many Bible verses you'll begin to memorize because they're precious to you. 
And then from that flows an unconditional love relationship with God. It is not conditioned by what kind of a day you're having. It's conditioned by God's love for you, which is eternal and infinite. So this is the question you should be asking you, yourself. Are you, are you performing or abiding? Are you more concerned about the commitment you need to make to get it right? Or are you thinking about, how can I, in a greater way, accept the gift that God is offering me? So every day there's an opportunity to accept more and more of the gift and give God more of our more real estate in our hearts, right? Say more, more and more. Okay. This is by the Holy Spirit. So I told you before that uh, I would try to share with you some of the common obstacles to receiving the Holy Spirit. And so far we've talked about unbelief and unconfessed sin and pride. I think the next one is fear. I think people are often afraid of asking the Holy Spirit to indwell them. I mean, what could happen next? We never know. We, I, I can't fill in that blank for you. Tom, what will happen to me? What will happen to me if I ask the Holy Spirit to come in? I have no idea. I can tell you what's happened to me, but I'm not you. You're not me. So there's a level of fear, isn't there? Anxiety. What will happen? We don't know. But this is a part of this relationship of acceptance and abiding because what it creates is trust. Trust. So that we can trust God with what it, and trust is the thing that counteracts fear. And fear quenches trust. I think another obstacle, common obstacle, is indifference. People go, whatever. What difference does it make? I say to you, I don't think you've met Jesus yet. I don't think you've met Jesus yet. Indifference. Sometimes you can tell. I think there are things that happen on the outside. Indifference is something that I don't think a person can have a relationship with Jesus and be indifferent to it. Like, oh, if it happens, it happens. Big deal. It's like, no, if you're in a relationship with Jesus who loves you and he says, this is, my, this is my desire for you is to overcome and fill you with my Holy Spirit, then you get, bring it on. I think another obstacle can be disillusionment. People just become disillusioned. You promise time after time after time after time that this thing's going to happen. It doesn't happen. We talked about last week. You know, it's that distance between when you pay for your McDonald's breakfast and when you pick it up. It's that difference between the pay window and the pickup window. And they just can't wait. Jesus said, wait for the gift my father promised. Hang on. But I think one of the biggest, one of the, the biggest obstacles to people cooperating with the filling of the Holy Spirit is just what we could call unfair comparison. We look around at other people, and we compare ourselves to that. And we say, wow, look at that person. They're all jacked up on the Holy Spirit. Look at them. And we say, ah, you know, <laughs> that's not happening for me. Let me ask you, you seeing the fruit of the Spirit? You seeing the gifts of the Spirit? 
Is your heart for other people changing? Are you feeling the love of the Father? Then you're experiencing the filling of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you're going to get jacked up or not. I don't know. It's really important, the Bible says, not to compare ourselves to one another, but just to bring ourselves to God. Right? Okay. So God's just saying here, he's saying, I love you. Can you hear it? I mean, are you experiencing that word from God? I love you. Some of you are. Maybe some of you aren't. I think only you could say. Some of you are saying, you hear, God loves you, and you go, I know. I know. Imagine, guys, in a moment of rare tenderness, you spoke to your wife and said, honey, I love you. And she said two words back to you. I know. Could have several tones to it, right? I know. I'm good. Yes. Our marriage is one of love. Mm-hmm. You say you love me. I believe you. Very good. Carry on. I love you. I know. But crying out loud. I know already. <laughs> I love you. I know. And just the expression that she has experienced that love. I know. So God says, I love you. Yes, the Bible tells me so. I will dutifully march out this Christian stuff and hope for the best. God says, I love you. I know! Back off! What's going on there, kids? You might got to wonder about that, huh? Who's inspiring that kind of response? God says, I love you. I know. The love of the Father fall on you. The love of the Father fall on every one of you now. Love of the Father fall on you. There is no one to impress. He's already impressed when you come in the name of His Son, Jesus. The love of the Father fall on you and churn up in your hearts, not just in your minds. Love of the Father fall on you now. Just bring healing, blessing, touch, purpose, Filling of the Holy Spirit, love of the Father fall on you.